Welcome back, perfect peeps, to Perfect.dev. Today we're talking all about unlocking the Jamstack with Auth0. Today on the pod, we have a special guest, James Q. Quick, what's up, James? Hey. What's up? What's going on? Welcome. Just hanging Good out. I'm this morning, you know, arm sore. You did? Yeah, I was, uh, the second one I was pretty sore from myself. <laughs> I'm hoping I'm hoping tomorrow goes better than today has already started. But uh, other than that, just hanging out in Michigan, hoping for warm weather here. Yeah, it's got to be nicer down there in Memphis, right? The weather right now is perfect. Like at the summers are miserable, um, but it's uh-huh. like it's like pre-summer weather, so it's perfect right now. Yeah, nice. I just did a uh, half marathon down in Kentucky, and uh, it was probably like the coldest day we could have picked for the half, which worked out well for me. But like, the vacation overall, I'm like, where's the warm weather at? Yeah, really. All this cold weather, it's terrible. I feel like uh, running in colder weather is better for me than, like, I just get so exhausted so quickly when it's hot outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. Totally the same. I enjoy cool weather. Starting out at 36 was a little chilly, though. Uh, yeah, that's a little extreme. <laughs> so for, for those of you who don't know James yet, um, a little background. James is a developer, speaker, and teacher with a passion for web development. He's a developer advocate at Authorew and has over seven years of experience in advocacy and software development. In his spare time, he runs a YouTube channel, uh, plays co-ed soccer with his wife, and spends time with his dogs and can solve a Rubik's Cube in under a minute. That is fascinating. And it's not on our description or our details here, but also you have a podcast that, you know, someone might perfect pick a little bit later. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, we'll uh, get to that. So, so thanks for joining us. Uh, we definitely want to talk about Jamstack and, and Auth0. And I, I think before I like completely bury the lead, I got to know how has Auth0 been after the, the acquisition uh, the only information I have on that is just what's publicly available. So we've got a blog post uh, that you can talk about. Um, but just what we've been focused on is been kind of the same stuff. Just working on same good content for the YouTube channel. I spent a lot of time doing video content there. Um, yes, yeah, so that's where I still still been spending a lot of my time. Okay, that's awesome. Who purchased it? Well, yeah. Yeah. So Okta, Okta kind of brought in Auth0, and uh, it's it's been interesting. It's been on everyone's ears, kind of listening on what's going to happen with that whole situation. So nice, been pretty crazy. So um, for others who are just you know checking out Jamstack stuff, can you tell us a little bit more about what Auth0 is? Yeah, um, you know it's there's a lot of different SaaS products out there that do uh, do individual things, like some of my favorite ones, like Cloudinary for media management, and they do that really well. You've got a ton of different like headless CMS options. You've got a ton of different things that do abstractions on top of databases. You've got tons of payment processing options. Um, so Auth0 is just kind of in that same realm uh, for authentication. We want to make adding authentication and uh, and doing it well as easy as possible for developers. So we've got SDKs for lots of different uh, languages and frameworks. My favorite one that I've been talking about uh, a lot recently and have some video content coming out on is the Next.js SDK. So I spent a lot of time uh, with Next.js myself and have been really excited to see how that um, that SDK has come out, evolved, and uh, made it really like 
like you can't I can't oversell this. I don't want to sound salesy, but you can literally add authentication to Next.js in like a couple of minutes by basically installing wow. the package and adding a few configuration uh, variables. So it is like I genuinely believe it's one of the best SDK sets out there. Yeah, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. cool. Is that is that handling both uh, client side and server side then, or it does? Way? Yeah, that's a great question. So this SDK specifically, um, it has it does it does the authentication part itself, kind of server side. But you also have hooks on the front end to get access to uh, the user. You get a loading state of whether or not it's like trying to get the user's information. So right. while it's loading, you could show a loader or whatever. Um, you can dynamically swap out your nav bar for a login logout button, depending on if you uh, if that user is there for you in that hook on the front end. So it really um, it really leverages the flexibility of Next.js really really well, where you get all that server side uh, authentication, you get the hooks on the front end, and then you get a couple of higher order functions to protect your pages in Next.js. So making sure that they're authenticated before they can get to a page and or your API routes in Next.js too. So that's st- that stuff being built in is just really, really nice. That's really yeah, that's nice. Uh, is that SDK like going to be a lot different than a normal like React SDK, the way it's written? Is it super specific to Next then? There's uh, not a whole lot. So the, the hooks on the front end uh, for getting access to the user, getting loading state, uh, that sort of stuff, that's almost exactly like what you would see uh, or at least very similar to what you'd see in our regular React SDK. So we have a separate one specific for React. So on that side, it's very similar. And then, uh, yeah, some of the stuff is a little bit different and unique. Like I said, those uh, those higher order functions to protect either your pages or API routes, uh, those are specific to Next.js. But I think, mm-hmm. I think it's not unique in the sense that it's... Um, it's not something that developers won't be comfortable with. I think like, even if you're not a Next.js developer, like we, we probably have used SDKs that gives us hooks like that. So I think in that sense, it's pretty comfortable. Does Auth0 have ones that are kind of comparable for things like Nuxt and other frameworks too? Yeah. I figured we would have someone would go the other away from the react just to see what we cover. So we have, uh, we have an SDK for Angular, and then we have our more generic uh, like Spa SDK. So you can use that. Like we've got, um, Brittany, I know you like Svelte. We've got an internal yeah. project that I've worked on. You may have been in a, on a stream for that, but um, the internal project that uses Svelte, so it uses the Spa JS uh, package from Auth0. Is that client-side? Um, it is client-side, yep. Okay. And then we, uh, we also have SDKs for backend languages and frameworks uh, to do that as well. So you can kind of choose I wonder uh, which if that's way gonna makes the most sense. Have to be switched up a little bit for Svelte Kit because now they're going to kind of go the pages route like Next.js. So I wonder. Yeah, how that'll be work. that'll be interesting. I, I don't yeah. know. I know in theory what Svelte Kit is. I have no actual experience and I don't have any mm-hmm. like roadmap information from an all-zero standpoint. But um, I think we, we've done a good job so far of like prioritizing the SDKs that seem like they have the most use case, like specific ones, mm-hmm. but then also providing, for example, like that Spa.js one where you can use it in any of the other ones that we haven't gotten to cover yet. Um, so I think we've done a, a good job of kind of balancing, balancing the two. Sounds good. I think I've always kind of dealt with Auth0 in larger like corporate environments. Most of our our listeners or our viewers are, are typically going to be on the smaller side of things. Mm-hmm. Do you find that both of those cases are, are kind of easy to deal with? Like it's easy to get started on, on a small scale and then you can grow as you need to using Auth0? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I like... 
I want to earn as much. I want people to believe as much as as what I say. So I'm, I want to like phrase this in a way where it's not just me being the Aussie person. But yeah, like genuinely, if I were to start like a, a side project right now and I needed authentication, I would probably do that with Auth0 again, like doing a little bit of configuration in the dashboard and then having this Next.js SDK as an example that gives me flexibility, gets me started really quickly. Like that's what I would personally choose and have chosen. So we kind of referenced a podcast. Um, we have a dashboard for unsaid podcast. <laughs> and the dashboard, we want to uh, let our guests and our sponsors uh, log in, view stats from the episodes that they have either been a part of or sponsored, and then view like invoices and contracts and that sort of stuff. So that dashboard, um, Amy and I created with uh, with Next.js. So going back to familiar technologies that we're talking about, and used Auth0. And she had uh, she tried out Auth0 as well as Next Auth, which is another really popular option. And uh, I think. Luckily, or maybe not so luckily, but I'm thankful that she had a really positive experience with Auth0. She set it up really easily and was like, yeah, let's just do this. And I got to sit back and like silently go, yes, it worked. <laughs> I listened to that one today and she was like the non-biased person in the conversation. Mm-hmm. And she was like, yeah, compared to Next Auth, it was just so much simpler. Like you said, like two minutes, mm-hmm. just bam, and it worked. Is there a cost out of the get-go with that? Or is there a free tier for Auth0? Yep, definitely a free tier. Just, I mean, it's pretty pretty common, like what you'd expect. I think as developers, like at least from my perspective, like I'm probably not trying out something that I have to pay for initially. And I think a lot of us share that sentiment. So we absolutely have a free tier. I forget what the exact number is, but it's it's a pretty high number in terms of monthly active users. And to cool. clarify what that means, oh, cool. Yeah, you got it right here. Um, so monthly active users in this case is people that have actually logged in in the last month. So you could have 100,000 users total, but only some portion of those are active um, in terms of logging in every month. And I think you got it there, 7,000 um, external MAUs, monthly active users. So that 7,000 may actually be 20, 30, 40, or however many users. It just depends on how many are actually active by logging in in the previous month. I was a little lazy, so I'm going to jump back to this one. But here, here are the uh, SDK libraries that we had up here. So just to kind of show people, like, there's so much here between spas and then web apps. Um, you know, here's the Next.js guy there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of this backend, which I find amazingly powerful, especially sitting in this node kind of setup as well. So all the all the mobile stuff. Um for for me, when I compare this, I'm I've been a Google Firebase um, mm-hmm. user for years and a GDE, and so I always have to kind of compare um, <laughs> those two products, if you will, right? So, Fair enough. In, in my mind, like Auth0 and um, Firebase's authentication package, they're they're very similar um, for for the use case. I think you guys have a lot more like APIs spread across different SDKs. The one question I had was. You know, when when you guys are kind of in this space of authentication, do you ever think of going past that? Like, for instance, there's Firebase has like their database side to things and you can protect your database. Is there any way to use that within like an Auth0 space where you're running microservices in this Jamstack world that we live in so you can protect those things at that level, too? Yeah. Um, so do, uh, I want to clarify, like I don't have any insider knowledge of future roadmaps in that regard. So I want to get that out of the way first. But um, yeah, I I, I kind of don't 
think so. Um, it's it would be an easy. It's certainly an understandable thought to look at something like Firebase, and I think like it's been so good for so many different people for so long that a developer that's going to create an app that's almost to your point like kind of the standard they look at. Like I could do this in, in Firebase with this amount of work. What is it going to look like, and what would be the reason for me to go somewhere else? Um, so I understand that comparison, um, but I don't. I don't think we we certainly don't have that suite of offering today, and I don't like nothing that I know of says that we will. Uh, but there are a couple of uh, important features, I think, of the existing platform that are useful. One is our rules, which actually, uh, I think, do become serverless functions. Uh, but it's not something that, that you actually like control and deploy and that kind of stuff. We give you an editor and you can uh, put your code in there. And what it does is allows you to kind of do specific things after uh, post login. So after a user logs in, do you want to add some information to their ID token? Do you want to uh, ping your phone to let you know that someone log like whatever it is that you want to do? You have the ability with that, and then we are uh, getting ready for our actions release, which is kind of a beefed up version of that. Uh, it's got an editor in the browser which uses Monaco, or it's built on top of Monaco. You get IntelliSense and npm packages and environment variables, all sorts of stuff. In addition to like different. Um, aspects of the login lifecycle. So like pre-login, post-login, that sort of stuff. Uh, so I think that's one of our big differentiators in general with authentication is the ability to... like If we don't have something out of the box, most likely you can add that functionality yourself through uh, what is rules now and what, uh, what will be actions coming out soon. That speaks a little bit to our topic, Jamstack, too, where mm -hmm. you have these headless options that you can pull in and use the best in class or use whatever you're familiar with. And you don't have to pick one thing anymore. You can go whatever direction and pull yeah. in what you need, which is great about Jamstack. Yeah, that's kind of like, like we can maybe kind of approach that topic now. Um, that's my interpretation of the Jamstack. Like the the formal one is the acronym JavaScript APIs and markup. And like neither one of those things is really unique or new in and of itself, right? Like we've had JavaScript for a long time. We all work with APIs. We have markup, whether it's uh, HTML or Markdown or JSON or, or whatever we want to use for that. Mm -hmm. um, the difference with the Jamstack is now we're just getting a lot more creative about how we combine these different technologies, these different services, these different concepts. So I think I think that is exactly what you said. Like we see more and more SaaS products that have started up that do individual things really well. And mm -hmm. as a developer now, or as an entrepreneur, if I want to build a product, I no longer have to build all these things myself. I can I can pull in these individual services that do parts really well, and then build the thing that makes my product actually unique, or that makes that like whatever the money maker is for my product. That's what I get to focus my uh, the majority of my time on. Exactly. I've stopped thinking about Jamstack as JavaScript APIs and markup mm -hmm. and more just as th it's this mindset, this architecture yep. of how we can pull in these things. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, one thing that I, I wanted to bring up, and hopefully you have some background in it, um, the, the Node.js SDK version 2 just came out um, probably like a month ago or a month and a half ago. Um, with that release, they now have full support for JWK and JWS. Um, I kind of, for our listeners who are not used to like authentication authorization, can we talk about like what is auth N versus what is auth Z and kind of these newer changes that are, are coming down the, the, the pipe, if you will, and, uh, how we can access the. 
Yeah, you kind of you kind of freaked me out for a second because I don't ever use like this is not a bad thing, but I don't ever use like auth n and auth z, and I was like scrambling. I was like, what are those words? <laughs> um, but I, we're on the same page. I got I got where you're going. So for a so little bit of listeners, maybe yeah, go ahead. <laughs> auth n is authentication, and yeah. auth z is authorization. So if yeah. we can talk about let's look do auth n first and what that actually means. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, now now my nerves are my nerves are coming back down now from being put on the spot. So authentication is is really just kind of proving who you are. And you think about like anytime you log into an app, whether it be through like username, password, email, password, through a social provider like Google, Twitter, Facebook, GitHub, Discord, whatever. Um, you have some way of proving that you are who you are. Typically, that's like credentials, right? Like that's what we're most used to. And that stuff is kind of ever evolving. And I think there's there's thoughts of a world where passwords don't exist anymore. It seems really, really wild to think about now. And that's kind of a separate story. But um, authentication is just being able to prove that you are who you say you are based on something. And it's it's right now mostly just credentials that you would pass along to um, an authentication provider of some sort. So are we talking about like 2FA taking over that space? 2FA being, well, I guess like the mechanisms of 2FA, because 2FA right now would be like you log in and then they want to add something on top of that. So you still would have to have that password. But those Mm -hmm. mechanisms of like sending a magic link to your email or logging in with um, with like some sort of hardware device that you have, like lots of different options that don't necessarily require a password at all. So 2FA would be like applying it on top of already existing password. Uh, The future seems to potentially be like there's no certainties here but uh maybe there's no passwords at all yeah i ha- i know i have a password for discord but i can use my phone and mm-hmm. log in with that qr code yeah and exactly i could not remember my discord password <laughs> <laughs> so and maybe- i feel like it's a little interesting though because there's so many applications that currently still require it, it it's kind mm-hmm. of one of those you're going to have to bring a lot of people up to this Mm -hmm. kind of newer thought or newer world. I don't know how long that's going to take. Agreed. Um, So we fully, fully covered off then and maybe you covered it. I missed it, but the auth Z side of this, like that is a side of the story that maybe auth zero doesn't really handle. They're more focused on the auth end side, right? Uh, well, uh, probably not quite true. So okay. let's start cool. with, uh, yeah, that's a good, uh, it's good to, it's good to talk that through, but let's start with for my, for my calming of nerves Auth Z is authorization and, uh, the difference between authentication, which is proving who you are. Authorization is now, do you have access to do the thing that you're trying to do? And, uh, the example of this is like, um, for going back to the dashboard that I talked about earlier, you might have two different types of users, a guest and a sponsor. So if, if I'm a guest and I log in, I can be authenticated and I can be authorized to have access to the guest page, my guest page with my numbers, my, not invoices, but whatever details are there. Mm-hmm. But if I try to go to like a sponsor's page, like not just the public list of sponsors, but the, the detail, like the contracts and the analytics for the sponsor itself, I'm not authorized to go there. So there's got to be some sort of check that like, not only am I logged in, but I need something about me somewhere that proves that I also have access to do do this thing. And Alex, you mentioned like uh, the idea of Firebase, again, like such a common one for people. Firebase is really interesting. And it took me a while to understand this. You don't, 
you often don't have a private API key of some sort. You can do all of your database interactions right from the browser. And the reason that works is because you have authorization baked in. So you use authentication to get an actual user. And then you have some sort of authorization rules on the back end that you can figure. Hey, you can only uh, read this information if you created it. You can only edit this information if you're the owner of that record. You can only delete it if you're the owner of that record, that sort of stuff. Um, so. Yeah, but- one, yeah, one tricky thing there on uh, the Firebase side, uh, there were so many individuals that left their databases wide open for yep. so long that <laughs> yeah. it kind of became a problem, right? So although it's it's super easy to like pull those things in, you still have to like work on your own authorization pieces to that. So folks out there, if you're using it, please lock your databases. Go back. <laughs> yeah, and I think lots of us as content creators, we do this all the time, right? We do a demo to teach people and we're like, oh, we'll just leave it open for testing. But then unless we really clarify and say exactly what you just said, like, hey, this is just for testing, make sure, blah, blah, blah. And it's the same thing with like when people use environment variables and demos, like they say, all right, copy your API key right here. I didn't know this for like years that those things can't be checked in to GitHub, right? Or like can't be included in code that gets shipped to the browser. And that's a whole, like I try to be very explicit with those types of things in my videos for that exact reason. But going, going back to authorization, like, do you have access to do a certain thing and the tie-in with Auth0? So we have, uh, we have permissions. So you can list out um, permissions or create permissions in a dashboard in Auth0. Permissions uh, a lot of times get pretty fine-grained. So if you think about some sort of domain of objects that you work with, let's say it's a podcast. Uh, do you have the ability to create a podcast, to edit a podcast, to delete a podcast, to read a podcast. Those are the four of CRUD. So those might be individual permissions. And then you might also have another set of permissions that's basically the same thing, but then it's like tacked on like, do you have the ability to read all podcasts? Do you have the ability to read podcasts that you created? Do you have the ability to create or delete record podcasts that someone else created? So there's all these really fine grained permissions that you can have. And because those can be so many, uh, you have the ability to group those into roles in Auth0 as well. So you can assign a list of permissions to a given role, give a user a role, include that role in their ID token and or access token, and then make decisions in on your logic based on what comes in those tokens of what they should have access to. That sounds really nice. Are those JSON web tokens? I've just heard the JWT like acronym, yeah. all these acronyms. <laughs> all, all the acronyms, yes. Yeah. Um, JWT is JSON web token. Uh, if you go like deeper into the specs of how these things work, an ID token is specified to be a uh, JSON web token, a JWT. An access token is not. So there's two two different uh, formats that we use for our access token. One is an actual JSON web token, which means you can decode the information that's in it. Another uh, just shout out for people like you shouldn't be like giving away access tokens and you shouldn't be storing private information in them. Uh, and then the and local host folks that's what he's saying <laughs> and there's there's actually interesting you can do people out there can do it go and do research there's like research on whether or not as long as you're doing certain things to protect yourself against cross-site scripting whether that's a bad thing and then you can get into refresh tokens and a whole different thing but you <laughs> should be conscious of the impact of having a, a jwt out there that that people could potentially find and use um, so that's one format. The other format is just basically like a unique identifier that gets sent to the authorization server. 
and they they can use that to to go and get information about uh, about the user instead of that info being baked into the uh, JWT token itself. Nice. Yeah, and the cool part with the, the JWT side of that is like it has the signature and like the header built into it, but it also provides a ton of information about a user. So you can you can. Uh, also assure like the information that's sitting in there that flows back and forth that you can actually trust it and you don't mm-hmm. have to like rely on this second party like okay now i've hit the server now make sure the server goes and checks the authorization again and it becomes kind of a, a slower process to put all that together so it's definitely cool if you haven't checked out uh, jwts or jots as people constantly correct me on which I i've never understood that one but, don't either yeah <laughs> I don't. I don't get going there, but okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, check out check out JSON Web Tokens. Uh, am I putting you on the spot a little bit? If if we talk about JWKs, can you can you kind of talk mm, about what a maybe set is? Ah, uh, okay. Um, so well, if you can, that's fine. Like we're getting a little deep. I know. Yeah, I want to make sure that I'm getting the right thing. So we have in all zero and like part of I think the one of the specs for maybe Open ID Connect is this ability to have your you have a, a publicly available endpoint for keys that are associated public private keys uh, that are associated with how JWTs are are signed. So the beauty of the tokens, you kind of alluded to this, but it's really it's really kind of lack of a different word, like beautiful the way this works, JWTs have information that are in them and they're signed and they have that verify signature at the bottom. The verify signature uniquely represents what was in or the combination of the header and the payload, which is kind of the, in this case, the user information. And it takes that stuff and it, um, it encrypts it. And then that, that header has to, or excuse me, that signature has to be valid when you then check, if I receive a token, I need to have either the original signing key or a public-private key pair that I can use and then make make the header for the information that I get, excuse me, make the signature for the information that I get and compare that with the signature that's inside of that token. So what that gives us the ability to do is really accept if I get a token and I validate it, I know this token hasn't been tampered with and I know it came from the source that um, that I trust. So I can trust the information that's inside of it. So the key set is now the ability for, like if I'm um, an API server, I receive a token, I can do uh, some asking by going to this key set endpoint to get the appropriate key to then test that that, um, that JWT is valid when I receive it. Again, after that validation, then I can trust the information and use that to make uh, authentication and or authorization uh, decisions based on the information that's inside of it. Beautiful. I I haven't dealt with authorization much, but is that where like hashing and salting comes in? Is that how those are compared? And So uh, let's see. Uh, Encryption in general, there's one-way and two-way encryption. Two-way encryptions means you can encrypt something and you can decrypt something. So if you look at like the the actual JWT itself com- is comprised of three different parts. It's encrypted information that can then be decrypted with On by the knowing side. the algorithm. So you can actually see all the information that's inside of it. The the other aspect of encryption is one-way encryption where you're taking something, you're more appropriately like hashing it 
And there's no real way to go back from a hash to the original value. And that's um, SSH, right? That's how S is that how SSH works? Uh, if you're talking about like public private key pairs, yeah, like SSH keys, that kind of stuff. Is that uh-huh. what you mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, so they work on the public private key. Um, and this gets into some things that I honestly don't know that well. Yeah, somehow we're getting a little deep in that. Yeah. <laughs> somehow you have this one thing and then you have its partner, and then both of them can be used to more or less hash in this case the JW the stuff that's inside of the JWT to create that signature and then compare them uh, against each other. Okay. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And then your going back to you mentioned um, hashing and salting, that would go into your uh, passwords for a user, like not storing them. Rule number one for people out there. If you're doing authentication yourself, don't store your passwords in plain text. Uh, you would hash them, but then there's oh, okay. hackers are really smart and they've been doing this for a long time. So they have what are called like rainbow tables, mm-hmm. basically where they can kind of yeah. guess if you use a certain hashing algorithm, here's a million of the most common passwords in the world, run those through these common hashing algorithms. And then if they get access to your database, they can just go see if what their hash is in your database, they know how to go backwards because they did it. So salting mm-hmm. then adds on some additional things to make it that much more harder, uh, that much more difficult to go backwards, almost impossible to go backwards. Nice. Thank you for clarifying now, that. Now that like, our complete interview is over, I think we'll just give you the job. I, I think you know. <laughs> yeah, that Sorry. Was... I, I didn't mean to uh, beat you up so much on, on all these questions. It's right all good. Today. Yeah, no, it's good. So um, when we talk about, again, just circling back to our, I always forget our title, you know, about halfway through the pod, because I just love <laughs> talking to people about all this stuff all the time. But yep. uh, the title being Unlocking the Jamstack with Auth0, uh, do you kind of see Auth0 being probably one of the key players at this point? I, I think we named, you know, Firebase, Auth0. Is there any others that kind of fit in there for our Jamstack story? There's there's lots. Um, it's one of those things. Once once people see success in a given area, then you're going to see a lot more products uh, come up. So uh, like I don't I don't know AWS intimately, but there's like AWS Incognito. There's yep. Microsoft Azure Identity. That's probably not the right word, so nobody quote me on that. But they have yeah. authentication stuff that's built in. Um, one thing that's been really interesting for me recently is uh, a Firebase, an open source alternative to Firebase, which is Supabase. Yep. I just, it sounds really cool. They've got authentication built in. And then if you look at across the board on a lot of these like headless CMS options, they've got authentication baked in too. Keystone JS, I went through West Boss's course on Advanced React. Keystone has authentication. You've got tons of different options. I would say like we are definitely one of the big players of not only easy to get started with, but also when you scale up to what we were talking about earlier and you're doing enterprise security and you really want some extra features that would take you, if you were to do it yourself, a, a long time and a lot of expertise that you may not have, that's where we really shine. So getting people like from my perspective in Devro, like showing people that it's easy to work with, showing people how it can enable you to build stuff quicker and then other people have deeper conversations about very specific use cases, deeper functionality, and very like even more, much more technical conversations than we we've had so far about how to do this stuff the right way based on uh, specifications and that sort of stuff. 
so yeah, lots of different options. They 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 have their different use cases, but I think we do a good job of of making it accessible to the average developer. And then when you get into bigger companies, bigger products, enterprises, being able to meet all of those needs as well. Yeah, very well said. Um, do you do you find between the different products? And I, I know you you probably don't have a ton of experience across them. Do you find that there's limitations when you start saying, "Well, we need a, a Facebook login, a, a whatever it might be, Google login, all those different logins"? Um, I know Apple has released kind of some very strict guidelines when you're writing an app and it has an Apple login or wants to be in a, a Play Store, it has to have an Apple mm-hmm. login. Um, are there any things in there across those different products that uh, maybe that one doesn't do better than the other, but the, there's kind of that segment is better covered across and being able to do like back end and front end and all of that um, by using those different logins? Yeah, I, I probably don't have the best answer, but I'll give you a couple of a couple of things I think are relevant. Um, I think a lot of a lot of these different options that we have do make it easy to facilitate authenticating against either their own email password or username password, as well as some social provider. So the social provider interaction, the way this usually works, regardless of what you're using, is you go to that platform, you register an application on that platform, they give you some sort of credentials, and then you use those in whatever tool you're using, and then it kind of takes care of the rest. Um, So I'll see like, I think we do that really well. I think other people do too. One of the interesting features that we do have, though, is the ability to like merge these profiles. So we've all probably like logged in with something a long time ago with Facebook. And then after a while, for me, I was like everything developer related, I'm either logging in with Twitter or GitHub. And then I go back to that app and I log in with GitHub and it's got the same email as my Facebook one. But these are two completely different accounts in their in their eyes. So like I literally I can't remember what it was. Oh, it's IF. TTT, if this, then that. Mm-hmm. I logged in because I have some sort of automation that's still running and I can't figure out for the life of me which account it's running under. So I'm logging in with like Facebook. Nope, log out, log in with Google. And so one of the cool features that we do have is the ability to merge those profiles. So if it sees that there are uh, different connections, different social connections with the same email, you can facilitate a way for the user to say, yeah, go ahead and merge those and then log in with either one, but still have the same user account and data. So in terms of like one specific feature that is really nice that facilitates from a user perspective, uh, some things like that. Yeah, I think that that is one of the one of the pretty neat ones. That is really nice. And does that then equal one user instead of like being multiple users on your yep. for your pricing plan? Nice. Mm-hmm. And bringing oh, well, back- actually, sorry, but I didn't realize oh, you're going to clarify pricing. I don't know. How, I don't know that for sure. So sure. let me okay. let me make sure I cover myself. I don't know the answer to that very specifically. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And bringing back in the Jamstack a little bit too, if we picked off zero and you go down that route, how does that um, merge and go with uh, CMSs and things that we pull in? How well do they go together? And do they fight each other at all? Yeah, (laughs) there, I think think the easy answer is you can use all zero with any of them. Um, a lot of them don't necessarily provide authentication like as a as a platform itself. So I use Sanity.io for for a lot of my content. It doesn't have the ability to like set up authentication 
for users in terms of the application. Like you can share your your backend sanity dashboard with other people, but they don't mm-hmm. have the ability to facilitate like I want to add authentication to my app and I get that from sanity. Okay. So what I would do in that case, and this is true for lots, so I've done demos like this with FaunaDB and Airtable, which is a really cool, uh, really cool like visual database that has a, a really good API as well, is I have my application. Uh, when a user logs in, you get in the ID token, which is general user information, you get a sub property. The sub property is the unique identifier for the user. And this is based on the, spe- the specification for ID tokens. That's going to be your user ID. And what I would do is like if I was in Next.js, if I'm on the front end and I need to save a piece of data, it sends that information to the back end in Next.js. I take the authenticated user, shout out to our SDK, makes getting that user really easy. But you grab that user, you grab their sub property, and then you attach that to whatever item you're creating. Okay. And then when you save it to your database, what, whatever headless CMS you want, you've got that sub property, the unique identifier, you've got the ability or you've got that thing saved with it and the ability to tie it back to a user. So now if I log in, now I can go and query, hey, give me all items in whatever CMS, whatever database it is that have the matching sub property to me, the logged in user. Another, another example that's actually really neat is... This is not all of them, but FaunaDB can actually, uh, you can do authorization rules similar to how you would in Firebase. You can do authorization rules inside of the FaunaDB dashboard and you can configure it to where the access token that you get from Auth0, if you pass that along to FaunaDB, it knows how to, it knows what to do with that and how to validate it. And then based on the authorization, got to clarify, the authorization rules that you have set up there, that could more or less replace your need for even your API endpoints and next. Like you don't necessarily have to have a backend for the same reason as Firebase. You can make your request directly to Fauna from the front end, have, pass along that access token. Fauna knows what to do with that thing if you set it up correctly. And then based on Fauna's rules, will allow a certain interaction to happen or not. So there's a couple of there's the ability to take advantage of certain features of different either databases or CMSs. The easy answer is probably for every one of these, you can take the sub property, attach it to whatever object you're creating, and then save that in in that data store. Yeah, it sounds like it fits perfect into the Jamstack. Yeah. Works well with anything. It's awesome. <laughs> the cool part is like once you know one of those, everything that James is talking about, it's identical for Firebase. Yeah. It's identical right. in, in Amazon. So it's really great once you kind of understand all of the the different authn kind of features and, and what's going into them. Yeah. Um, so for any of those out there, I know we don't have a ton of, of live listeners here, but if you have Q&A, we're going to do some perfect picks next. But uh, ask your questions and we'll answer them at the very end if, if we have any. So uh, James was kind enough to uh, do a perfect pick for us today. <laughs> you want to kick off yours first, James? Yeah. Oh, there it is. Okay. I couldn't remember if I was supposed to do two or not, but yes. Um, so this one on camera and you've got the Amazon link up. This is, um, I actually have the two terabyte version. It's a two terabyte SSD. And uh, for those of you who don't really know me, I do a lot of video content, a lot of YouTube content. So I've got gigs and gigs and gigs every day of video and video project editing files and that sort of stuff. Um, and I only have so much room on my computer. So I carry this ruggedized uh, two terabyte SSD. If I was traveling, it would make more sense. But I carry it with me everywhere I go. It's USB-C, so I can plug it directly into my Mac. It's two terabytes. Obviously, I can store a ton on there. And it's super fast to the point where I can actually edit 
right from this drive. So I don't even have to copy things over to my computer to then edit. I can just do it right from the drive itself, carry it with me. It's ruggedized. If I drop it, it's okay. It has a little, uh, like the little hook or the carabiner or whatever. So you could like clip it to your backpack. Um, anyway, so it's, it's really, really nice. Um, it was well worth the investment from my perspective as a content creator. That's really nice. That's amazing. What, what do you use for editing? I use ScreenFlow most of the time. We okay. use uh, Premiere at work. Uh, so sometimes I'll, I'll go into Premiere and, and probably should spend more time practicing in Premiere to get a little, little more proficient. Uh, but ScreenFlow is what I use for most of my stuff. Nice. That's awesome. We, we use a Google Drive to back everything up to. And it mm-hmm. used to be unlimited once I had so many people. I'm kind of curious like where that sits today because they've changed <laughs> a lot of their pricing. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. But um, cool. Brittany, you have the next pick. Yeah. So my next pick is the podcast that we have been hinting at the whole show. <laughs> so Compressed FM is James's podcast with Amy Dutton. And it just released a couple weeks ago at the time of recording. I don't know when this will actually go out to anchor for podcast, but um, it's really great. They go through design development stuff and you get to hear their origin stories, which was really informative today. I heard things that are familiar to me with uh, Udemy and there mm-hmm. that you got your start on Udemy. Yep. And um, uh, you talked about automation too, and all the automation tools that you guys use and your picks uh, described out too. Is that one that Amy picked? For the transcription that you guys use? Oh, Descript. Descript. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really cool. It can do the transcriptions like you're saying. And it Uh also, you can tell it to just like splice out dead silence. And you can tell it to splice out ums. So if you you really just want to wipe those out, like I think it's like a one click to do that. And then you also, you get that transcription. So you can actually select a portion of the video by selecting the text that you want. So when yeah. we, we've we talked about doing uh, like highlighting uh, little snippets for uh, promo on social, you can do that by selecting the text. So you're not having oh. to go in and like zoom in on a timeline. You can get exactly the words that you want, which is really, really cool. That is really cool. And in Amy's story, she said she worked on Kelly Clarkson's website and I was I was <laughs> sold right there. I'm like super fan of Kelly Clarkson. So I was like, okay, we're good. I'm going to keep listening to this. That's right. I'm glad. Uh, I'll have to tell Amy that she sold you on on the, uh, the, shout, the shout outs for the celebrities that she's worked yeah. on or worked with. And I just awesome. wanted to add like another... Another shout out for Amy. So you you said like James's podcast, like Amy's done so much of this that I want to give her oh. like, no, it's, it's not a bad thing at all. Like we're talking. So I think it makes sense. But I just want to give uh, Amy like a, a double, triple shout out because she's done so much of the design work, the development work, the like packaging it all up um, together. She's done amazing. So it's been really, really yeah. a, a joy to work with her. Absolutely. Yeah. Give both of you credit. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. And um, my second pick there. <laughs> Sorry. Is uh, the Learn, Build, Teach community. I think this is James's site, jamesqquick.com. But we have a community on Discord called Learn, Build, Teach. And we have a huge group and growing every day of content creators, people learning. I mean, everything in there. We have webhooks where you can share out your posts, promote them. Um, I mean, there's so much in that community. So I definitely recommend going to check that out and adding that Discord to your list. Awesome. Uh, My picks are next. So my first pick is Google I.O. Since we're live, I can 
I can throw this one out here. Uh, if you're listening on repeat, I apologize. It's probably already over. Um, but they have this really fun, uh, I don't even know where it's at now. Oh, there it is. You got to scroll all the way bottom. And they have this fun little pong thing. And once, oh. you, uh, oh, cool. once you finish it at the end, uh, it actually fills out a little something. I won't give it away. Uh, that you can that you can do. I'll just say that. So check it out, figure it out, and uh, nice. play it, and you'll get something special at the end. So I love Easter eggs. Yes, I love the right. I love the tease for it too. You'll yeah. get something, and it'll, it it might be the most amazing thing you've ever gotten. You'll have to you <laughs> yeah, have you have wait to and see. It yeah, it's up to the user, I guess. <laughs> Um, so I actually originally didn't pick this, but we talked about it so much. I, I thought I'd better bring it up. So this is why I kept asking in the in the beginning to James about the the new uh, definitive agreement. Basically, um, Auth0 and Okta are, are coming together. So great blog post on kind of what's happening in, in the world of uh, authentication and authorization. So read the blog and you haven't heard of one of these two uh, i will be very very surprised and uh they're probably going to take over the world soon so i'll throw that up as my other pick james i just want to personally say thank you so much i know you and Brittany have some uh chats together too so keep that going you guys are rocking it i love it yeah thank you i appreciate it thanks for Introduce not not introducing me, but putting me on the spot for a few acronyms that I don't use very often, <laughs> making me sweat a little bit. But I think it I think it worked out, so I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thank yeah, you so you, much uh, for joining. You us. Up or played on those for sure, easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry for stressing you out. All good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, make sure you listen to the new podcast, uh, Compressed FM, and you'll get to hear James's voice more often. All right, Absolutely. thank you all so much. Thank you, James. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everyone. See ya. All right. Take care.